Welcome to Deconstruct with Mikey Bridges. I had to re-record this one. My director and wife, Lena, reminded me that I was off track. Way off track. So I went back to the drawing board. If you want to hear the tangent, (laughs) or tangents, you can check it out on my extras episode number one. I'm hoping you'll tell a friend if you like what you're hearing. I share a little more about some of these things that I talk about here on the podcast and other random stuff on my blog at MikeyBridges.com. I mean to have interviews from these stories in the future because I'm practicing to interview Amy Grant. I want to talk to her. El Shaddai? Come on. I just need this podcast to get popular enough so that it seems reasonable and not super creepy that I want to interview her. That's my goal. Then Bono and the circle will be complete. Let me go back a step and do a quick recap. I had just arrived to Oregon from my hometown of Ventura, California, a little beach town with glorious views of the Channel Islands. It's perched just north of the land of milk and honey and tacos, Los Angeles, California. But I left all that for a much-needed life change in Oregon, and here I was. I had moved way outside of Portland, Oregon, into my parents' house, a cute, warm, two-level brick-and-wood house with big windows overlooking a small farm with two small ponds. Great place for my mom to keep an eye on her personal petting zoo, including her llama she affectionately named Maserati, or Maz for short. Maz has since departed from us. He was a very happy llama and had a full and wonderful life. My mom had my little brother and I bury him on the farm in the very spot that he died, using only shovels. Did you hear me? I buried a horse-sized male llama in the boondocks of Oregon. With a shovel. Remember that, punks. I worked for my stepdad in a small office on the edge of town selling ads by phone to new homeowners and new business owners. I made a friend with a man named Larry Pinniger on one of those calls and met up with him after talking. Not knowing the area, I agreed to meet this older, complete stranger to see his building on the then very trashy 82nd Avenue, just one block south of Division in the massive lung-fung Chinese food, dinner, theater, and hall megapolis. Oh man, I wanted to do shows there so bad. And next door to Larry's building was Yoshida's Asian Sauce Plant, which at least made it smell like Asian sauce instead of urine and hookers around there. Soon after meeting, my new friend Larry agreed to build a Christian rock club instead of a comedy club in his building. I had zero experience, but a tremendous amount of hustle for a 20-year-old and a drive to make shit happen, so Larry let me do it. So I did. I set up the club, booked the bands. I did everything I knew to do. We had an awesome team of volunteer staff manning everything and a door guy and cool lights and sound and swanky tables and decor. Killer lineup with popular bands. Pro. We even had a big sign with our logo high above the dirty, Asian, saucy, smelling 82nd Avenue. Super pro. I had a custom-made black jacket with the club logo on the back and my name embroidered on the chest. Mikey, ultra pro. The first night of this brand spanking new one-of-a-kind Christian live music club came. It was time to greet the press and the VIPs. Getting ready was like hearing a countdown for a rocket launch. Volunteers ready. Snack area ready. 
Fans ready, door ready, sound and lights ready, I'm ready. Okay, door time. Here we go. Five, four, three, two, one. I opened the door, and there was no one. Oh, man. Shit. After an hour, there were still only a handful of people chatting around the room, mostly made of band members or our staff volunteers. Oh no, it can't be. What did I do wrong? Did I put the right dates on the tickets? What did I forget? I had completely failed. I failed Larry, the bands, the staff, the sound guy that hated me. Damn it. Everyone worked so hard and did so much and I failed them all. I was so sure it would work. There were a few people, and I mean just a few, nowhere near what I needed or expected. It was bad and we had just started. The worst was my idea to do two identical nights instead of one. We were gonna do this the next day too. Oh, I was so shocked it didn't work. I had to do it the next night no matter what because we'd advertised for it and all the bands told their friends and the staff and the sound guy that hated me were coming back to do it again. Oh, I dreaded the thought of the next day. I knew it'd be a ghost town again. If they didn't show up for a free VIP night, then they're not going to show if there's a door charge. I was sure that I'd lost my dream job. The next day came. Most were patting me on the back to say, you know, good try. Everyone was supportive, but it looked like this kind of thing wasn't going to fly in Portland. I was bummed out. But everyone was okay with doing it again, so at least we would have fun with it. As it was getting a little closer to the time we were going to open the door, someone announced that there were people... I opened the door that led down the stairs to the street, and there were. There were people. I mean, just a few, but there were people waiting for the doors to open. Well, that's something. Sweet. We kept checking, and more and more people lined up. Maybe that was it, though. But no, more and more came. It was fantastic. The line grew and grew. It went down the stairs. It went out to the street, and then it went around the corner. Cars were everywhere. I mean, we had parking problems. We were packed to the gills. No spots available to sit. People were standing where there was no tables. Packed out. But we had a problem almost immediately. I'm this 20-year-old kid in dreamland, remember? I'm not really thinking about the realities of managing a music venue. I'd been to a lot of shows, but I'd only semi-officially helped out once at a show in a church back home in California. And by help, I mean passing on a booking phone number and then doing janitorial duties. That's it. Well, reality lesson one was safe occupancy. There are reasons for laws and rules and spaces where people congregate. Uh-oh. There were way too many people in the new club. Remember, this is on the second floor. You could go downstairs to another employees-only room and see that the floor was bowing above you because of the weight. Really bowing. None of us thought about this. Never thought that it would be a problem. And we were concerned. A few of us monitored the situation for a bit, but as we were all credentialed structural engineers, we found it to be within its limits. We definitely needed to stop letting people in, though. So we started to only let people in as others left. Great problem to have, right? On one hand, I was stoked for the amazing turnout, but also afraid that we might have to shut down. I mean, what happens when the band Versus does their crowd participation dance? Reality lesson two, heat. 
people are heaters. Get a bunch of people together in a room and it creates a lot of heat. A problem I now advise anyone doing events to tackle first and foremost. Number two, being aptly named. Number two is toilets. Have a lot of toilets. My promoter buddies will back me up on that. It's the first time I had to deal with the reality of safety, permits, city codes, room occupancy. I had no idea that there were rules to all this. You mean you can't just set shit up and go for it? I didn't know what a bitch that would turn out to be in the various places I built clubs in in the future. There were a great deal of rules and laws that I would learn the hard way, like at TomFest's first year when I was shut down before it even started because I didn't have the right fire permits. There's a fire permit required? News to me, Captain Small Town Fire Chief, who absolutely doesn't like me or my type of people in your town. <laughs> I remember that guy sternly asking to talk to the person in charge and then being shocked by me telling him that it was me. And then him reiterating that he was looking for the person in charge. I know it seems insane, sir, but still, it's me. That was always fun. <laughs> Word spread and Christian music lovers, musicians, and bands would be seen at the Connection on any Friday or Saturday night from then on. It was the hangout. It was a heyday. Like seeing all of the personalities at a joint in Sinatra's downtown Las Vegas. I was hooked. I would find hosting to be something that I was completely addicted to. From then on, I wanted to throw the best party, the coolest event. That thing that you talked about. Even though it was a Christian thing. <laughs> I loved being the guy, your maitre d'. I also absolutely loved the power of walking up on a stage at any time to grab a mic and to say whatever I wanted to into it. I always loved that. Mm, maybe I still do. Back then I was energized by crowds and meeting as many people as possible. I wanted to be known and I loved to make sure table by table that you were having a good time. It fed me. Unbeknownst to me, it was also feeding my already inflated ego. I was quickly becoming an asshole, or a bigger one. But hey, wait a second. I had come from San Buenaventura, a world away in Southern California, and at 20 years old, slinging my sweet black Kramer base with the white plumbing tape on the edges. And within four months, I had built and opened my first club. A club I'd put up against any secular live music club in Portland at the time. He said with pride. <laughs> it was because I had built the club more like a lounge with small tables to sit at rather than rows of chairs or open floor for people to stand. Dim lighting, ambiance. I did not want it to feel like what I considered churchy at all. Another tangent of my war. I remembered my experience at Christian events and concerts with all the rows of chairs and stuffiness and rules and 50-year-olds. Yeesh. <laughs> no wonder the secular world thought we were a joke. I would be different. My stuff would be different. Satan. I wanted it to feel secular. I wanted the things I did to measure up to the world to be seen as legitimate, even though I was religious. I wanted you to be able to invite a friend that wasn't a Christian and not be embarrassed because we were embarrassing. Most Christian concerts happened in churches or youth rooms of churches at that time. They were a way to bring young people in and then, you know, maybe their parents would come. What better way than a safe Christian rock concert in the sanctuary of a church? 
but giant crosses and four by eight foot embroidered tapestries on the wall declaring the Lord is triumphant with, you know, maybe a lion licking a lamb in the design does not scream rock and roll. Later, when I was in a band called Sometime Sunday, I distinctly remember playing a show tucked away in a corner at a Christian bookstore for some promo thing, probably. We set up and played with a wall of precious moments, porcelain figurines behind us. Big teary eyes glaring at the audience while we pounded them with our Northwest monster truck grunge rock. Yes, pastor or church board or elders or whatever, I understand that taking the tapestries down for this one night could very well open the door and usher in some of Satan's army to get a foothold on the church body, but we can fight that, right? We trained for this, no? We can defend the portal to hell left by the vacant tapestries because we will pray to Jesus and the angels will stand ready with swords drawn waiting for the first hint of sulfur, no? Like Ghostbusters, easy peasy, no harm done. Jesus wins, folks, always, with or without tapestries. <laughs> I genuinely wanted your friend that wasn't a Christian to think this Christian thing was awesome, not to be embarrassed, just like I was trying to do in high school with my Christian underground music, which I had not forgotten, by the way. Since answering the Christian-y musical call to arms in high school, listening to bands like Undercover, Altar Boys, and The Crucified, I was still very much in the unseen spiritual battle of musical good versus evil. I had dedicated everything I did to Jesus and the Bible message. I wasn't only fighting the unseen, I was fighting against being a joke and looking like a clown to the secular world and trying to yank the stuck-in-the-mud church into catching up with the times. I was hardcore about it. <laughs> I stuck to listening almost exclusively to Christian music, still trying to find underground music, still wishing for a good Christian punk rock show, a Christian indie rock show, college band, anything. There was nothing my style in Oregon, it seemed, live or recorded. But at least now I had a club and I was meeting musicians and other musicians were meeting other musicians and slowly kind of a music scene started to form there. Something I wasn't paying attention to was my ego. <laughs> oh God, what a shit I was. I was getting pretty lofty. Hey, I was the guy. In fact, I saw a picture from those days and remembered that I had just started to grow my hair out then. A ridiculous source of vanity for the next few years. I have really curly hair. I had completely destroyed it in high school using lye relaxers to take out the curl and then peroxide to bleach it so that I could color it with whatever shade was available at the time, you know, to be as punk rock as possible. So I had cut it short to grow it out healthy and long for some reason. And by the time the club opened, I had a Bob style haircut. Think Kenny G. I spent my weekdays getting things set up and my weekends bouncing around from group to group with my Kenny G haircut. My host microphone was my flute, making friends like a moth dancing from table to table. I remember wanting this experience every day and not just on the weekends. I wanted to be absorbed in that world, a safe world, a place where everything was going to point to a cool version of Jesus and where I could fight the dark forces with music. My own Wonka Wonderland where obviously I would be in the spotlight so that I could reflect it to the one true God, of course. Like a football player taking a knee after scoring a touchdown. All props to Jesus. Not a bad job. Doesn't seem like work, huh? What I didn't know then 
is that it didn't seem like work to the sound guy that didn't like me either. And my Kenny G hair wasn't helping. That would come back to deal me an absolutely devastating blow. But not before meeting a great deal of people that would heavily influence me in my life. And not before I figured out, with some disastrous results, how to get myself in a band. I'll talk about that next time on Deconstruct. Have some pictures or memories to share? Questions? Did you go to The Connection? Check out my Facebook group, Deconstruct with Mikey Bridges. Love to hear from you there. You can also find Deconstruct all over social media. Search Deconstruct with Mikey Bridges. Be good to each other. Cheers from Southern California.